0: Welcome to the Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com.
1: Good morning, y'all. Yeah, how you doing? Good. Uh, well, I'm really happy that you're here today. My name is Brylan. I am a Covenant member here, and I'm currently serving in kids, and today I'm going to read the scriptures for us. So if you want to turn with me to John 20, uh, verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Jesus said to them, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord.
0: All right, good morning, church family. How are we? Good. Happy Easter Sunday. He is risen. All right, Christianity doesn't have many cult-like sounding chants like Texas A&M, but that is one of them, all right? Um, So hey, it is good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I love Easter Sunday. I love Resurrection Sunday uh, for so many different reasons, but really because we get to specifically focus on the reality of our faith and be intentional to meditate on the things of Christ in that way. And we believe that there is a God that loved us so much that he sent his son. And that Christ Jesus, God's son, lived a life that we could not live and by doing so fulfilled the perfect law of God. And he died on a cross in our place showing us the death that you and I deserved And that if we believe in him, then by faith, God counts our trespasses against Christ. The sin, the thing that separated us from God gets placed onto Jesus. And in return, we get Jesus's righteousness, the perfection of his fulfillment of the law. We get his love and his peace, that the things that were designed only for Christ alone are now ours by faith. And honestly, that's a crazy message when you think about it. Like it's provocative in many different ways because no other religion, no other philosophy has the strong laying down their life for the weak and not just laying it down in a volunteer sense, but literally becoming weak on our behalf. No other God has died for humanity. This is actually not just wild to believe, it's actually really hard to believe. And can we be real with each other from the jump this morning? Many of us I think don't actually believe that like even if it kind of makes sense in our minds, maybe we even respect some of the tenets of Christianity. Maybe we would even say that we are Christians. Maybe we are indeed Christians following the resurrected Jesus, yet our lives are not fully surrendered to God. It has not moved us in such a way where we receive the power or the blessing or the joy or the conviction of the resurrection. We live our life understanding this truth, but maybe not fully believing this truth, and I pray that today the beauty of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection will begin to penetrate in a new and in a beautiful way because this is genuinely hard for us to believe. A lot of us, we acknowledge this truth with our lives, but do not live in light of this. And some of us may have come in and just straight up not believed in that truth today. We, we would not consider ourselves Christians. And so we probably are all over the place on the map, some really believing, some mildly believing, some thinking we're believing, but we're not, some not believing. And no matter where you are on that, I wanna encourage you, you're in a really good place, friends. Because some of the original disciples felt identical to the way that you felt coming into the gathering today. Because we just read a story about some dudes that walked with Christ for three years, who they saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw him do these powerful things. They heard Jesus say that he was going to die and then resurrect, and yet and still they don't believe. And so if we struggle with it, know that your struggle puts you in the same positions as the original disciples of Jesus. Yet something happened to those disciples that didn't just change their intellectual minds. It altered their entire lives where they began to follow Christ in such a soul thought for way. They laid down their lives for the sake of the gospel. And today we get Thomas's account of what happened that radically changed his life. And my proposal for us today is that something happened in Thomas's life that created this dramatic shift, and it was because Thomas was willing to risk something in hopes that the message that we just proclaimed, that God loves us and laid down his life for us, in hopes that that was a true message, he was willing to risk it all in case that was true— He risked it all that he might experience the life and the joy, the grace and the peace of Christ. And I believe the same possibility is true for us today. If we, like Thomas, are willing to risk some things, then I think that no matter where we are on that story, we can experience the power of the resurrection. We can see, like Thomas did today as well, we can experience God's transforming grace in a brand new, fresh way today And so let's chop up the text a little bit to see what Thomas saw. So prior to this story, we see that Jesus actually appeared to all of his disciples, except verse 24 tells us that for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there. I don't know if he was running errands. I don't know if he had to go to the bathroom and was in there too long. He missed his alarm clock. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there, but we know that Thomas was not present, which how bitter would you be, by the way, if you were Thomas? Like you came back, the whole crew was lit, right? They're like, OMG, right? (laughs) Oh my God, literally, we saw God, right? Like I'd be like, you couldn't wait till I showed up, Lord? Like, come on now, okay? And so the disciples are like, hey, we saw the Lord. And they were convinced of this reality. Notice that it wasn't just one of them that saw the Lord, but maybe he didn't, maybe he was so filled with grief that he was creating some hallucinations. Like at least 10 of them saw the Lord. And notice that it doesn't say, hey, hey, like we think that we've seen Jesus. They were fully convinced that they had seen the resurrected Christ. In fact, so convinced were they that 10 of the original 11 disciples would end up dying for their faith. And so they didn't just kind of think they saw Christ. Something happened that radically changed their lives to where all of these dudes are either wild and crazy or they're willing to lay down their life because they believe in what they saw. They saw Jesus. Notice here that Thomas's faith actually began with this invitation from the disciples. And even some of us may be in here this Easter morning because people around us are convinced that they have seen Jesus and they want you to experience that joy as well. Faith always begins by inviting and Jesus is often that initial inviter in our hearts if we would listen to his call in our lives. And so Thomas is being invited in by the disciples. We have seen Jesus, something happened. It changed their life. But Thomas was like, yeah, no, that ain't good enough for me, right? Like, Like look at the repetition in the text here. He says, I wanna see his hands. No, skip that. I wanna touch where his hands were and I wanna touch where they pierced him in the side and killed Jesus. I wanna touch that spot. And unless I am able to do that, I will never believe he says, like you could tell Thomas was that dude who'd just be doing the most at parties. He was extra, right? But he was adamant as well. In fact, in the Greek here, which is what this was originally written in, it says this sentence as strong as possible. That word never believed and the Greek is actually, no, not ever, never will I have faith. I think that very few of us have ever gotten to that point with God so hurt by what has happened in our lives that we're convinced that we will never follow Jesus. I also know that in a room this size, some of us may have been at or may even be at that point right now. And if you have ever doubted whether or not you can give your life fully to Jesus, you're in a good place, friend. So was one of the first missionaries, Thomas. He was assured that he could never believe. And I think that the rest of us, though we may not have said that out loud, we have not proclaimed that with as much ferocity as what Thomas is proclaiming here. There's still a lot more Thomas in our hearts than we would like to believe. We have Thomas that creeps in our hearts that says, I don't know if I can give everything, like everything that I have to this resurrected Savior unless he does this in my life. And so Thomas was adamant that he would never believe And why? Why was he so adamant? Well, he was really disappointed in God. That's why he couldn't believe like this. Because God didn't show up for Thomas in the way that Thomas desired God to show up for him in those ways. He had failed Thomas, or so Thomas had thought. He was disappointed with God in these different ways. And unless God came through on that disappointment, then Thomas said, I cannot believe. And I think that many of us, either actively or maybe even passively, even for those of us who would say that we are Christians, we have felt this way or currently feel this way with God, disappointed that God is not who we kind of thought he would be. He hasn't revealed himself. He hasn't delivered us. He hasn't provided for us in the ways that we desire. There's more Thomas in our heart than we would tend to believe. Most of us just aren't bold enough to say it like he did. And yet it's sitting in there. We're disappointed in God in different ways. And so we end up then living for ourselves instead of for Christ. But Thomas here is assured, I will never believe. He's disappointed in God. And then it says that eight days passed from that first sight of God, which paused on that thought of eight days for a second Eight days is a really long time for somebody that you have dedicated your entire life to follow. Like you lost your job, you gave up everything, you were willing to follow this man and then Jesus waited eight days. Like it's a long time, particularly considering the fact that Jesus could have showed up in verse 25 right when Thomas confessed his doubt, right? Like as soon as Thomas said, I won't believe unless Jesus showed up, Jesus could have been like, what up, cuz? Here I am, touch my hands, right? That's what I would have been like. I'd have been like, are you doubting me? Pow, pow, right? And yet, like Jesus delayed at this moment. And why Jesus delayed, I don't really know. And why Jesus has chosen to delay in your life for eight days or eight weeks or eight months or eight years, I, I don't know either. I don't know why he hasn't shown you the way that you desire to see him or the answers that you desire to have or the peace that you desire to have from God. I don't know why he hasn't shown up. But if I had to guess why he delayed in Thomas's life, maybe it was because that delay helped Thomas to truly believe once Jesus finally did show up in his life which eternal life is always worth the momentary hardship that it costs, family. Like maybe Thomas's doubt hadn't sank in deep enough so that when the seeds of faith may meet that, there was a rootedness in Thomas's life where he's willing to lay down his life for the gospel. Maybe the manure of his unbelief in that situation began to create this harvest field of faith once Jesus finally did show up. I'm not sure why God doesn't show up when we desire him to, but I do know that he uses his delay in some pretty beautiful ways in our life. So convinced was Thomas that he would go and lay down his life one day. Clearly, Jesus was good to him despite the appearance of his hesitancy to reveal himself. And maybe God hasn't fully answered your questions because if he answered them today, maybe your heart wouldn't be transformed in the way that he desires and the way that ultimately you would desire. However, family, like, like here's the point that I want to stick on the rest of the day. Okay. Despite Thomas's doubt, despite the fact that he was frustrated with God, despite the fact that he said, I will never believe Thomas was still with the disciples. The second time Jesus returned, You see, Thomas did not allow his questioning to turn him away from God to such an extent that he was no longer around the things of God or the people of God to be able to hear from and receive from God. And I believe that many of us, whether intentionally or unintentionally and passively, we don't linger around the people of God and the things of God enough so that we do see Jesus when he does finally decide to show up. We leave too early rather than lingering around God things. And because we exit too early because of our frustrations or disappointments, we don't see Christ clearly when he does decide to show up. Y'all get what I'm saying here? Like, I think that this lesson of Thomas is powerful in our lives. Here's my premise a minute ago. I said that our entire lives— can be completely altered. Our eternities totally altered if we were willing to risk something that Thomas risked himself. What was it that Thomas risked? Well, despite not seeing Jesus, he was willing to stay around the people of God and the things of God long enough so that when Jesus did finally show up, he actually believed. And I think that many of us are not willing to risk that like the time that it takes to kind of linger around the things of God. And so because we're infrequent around the things of God, then we wonder why Jesus isn't revealing himself to us. And yet we're not around the people of God to be able to receive from Christ. But I think if we risk it, we'll see Jesus move, family. Like maybe we don't see Jesus the way we desire to because we're not in the house when Jesus shows up. We're not there with the rest of the disciples. And so we miss him the first time and the second time and the third time that he shows up. Like, can I be direct here? Yeah. Uh, are we at a relational level where I can do that yet? No. Okay, five of y'all, so <laughs> y'all can get this. The rest of y'all, it'll come later. Let Conviction come later, okay? Like, like, what would it look like for you to linger around the things of God more? Yeah. Like, let's get really practical. Like, what would it look like for you to be involved in church more? Right? Like, I know that's a weird thing on Sunday. Sound like I'm calling you back. I am. I am saying that. Like, what would it look like for you to be like Thomas here, to be with the disciples, to be with and around the people of God, to not just kind of here and there pursue Christ, but to really chase after him, despite some of the doubts that you might have about Jesus. Like Thomas had doubts about Christ, yet he was still around the people of God. Because if Jesus really is who we are saying that he is, then it is worth pursuing and trying to figure this out, lingering around the things of God in case they might actually be true. Even if we claim we know Jesus family, are we really in the house of God, right? Like are we in the word so that when Jesus decides to show up, we're there? Are we in prayer? Are we in fellowship? Are we in service to our saints around us or the world around us? Like, like what if we lingered around the things of God just a little bit longer? What if, friends, in our lingering, we, like Thomas, actually saw Jesus because we were there with the other disciples? What if we don't see Jesus the way we desire because we don't linger long enough around the things of God? I think about a brother in our church who's actually serving today, Robert. Uh, Robert just got baptized about a month or so ago, and I was really struck by the similarity in his testimony with even this story. You see, Robert has been involved in our church for almost four years despite not believing in Jesus. In fact, so involved was Robert that most people probably thought he was like a covenant member and a Christian and like loved Christ and was sold out. But he was actually really struggling with the things of Christ. He understood God the Father and that there was a God. He understood even the spiritual nature of the Holy Spirit. But it was Jesus that he was kind of getting tripped up on and having a hard time to believe. And as he shared his story, it just struck me that, man, Robert has been hanging around Right, Like like lingering around for four years and then all of a sudden Jesus showed up in a powerful way. I won't share his full story. You can go back and listen to it if you want. But it was wild because Jesus showed up to him at a time that it was least expecting. All of a sudden he showed up, met this man in the shower and showed up in his house. But Robert had been lingering around the things of God so that when Jesus finally did show up, he was ready to receive him. And I think that many of us, right, like, like we're not lingering enough to be able to, like Robert or like the disciples and Thomas here, be able to receive Jesus when he finally does reveal himself. And listen, y'all, like Robert and like this disciple here, we can linger without having everything figured out. In fact, this text makes it really clear that they don't have almost anything figured out at this point. Like the scripture goes on to say that Thomas was now here the second time, but it says that the doors were locked, okay? Now, why does the Bible give us this kind of physical description here at this moment? Why highlight that detail? Well, one reason is to show us that these are not the bold disciples that we're about to meet in the next book, in the book of Acts. They have not been so transformed by the resurrected Christ that they're willing to lay down their life at this moment. They were still terrified that they were also about to get killed like the person who they thought was the Messiah just got killed. They did not understand the reality of Christ just yet. And so even though they had literally seen him resurrect, they still had not had this transforming faith that would ready them to lay down their lives as well. Eventually though, all of the disciples would linger around God and the things of God long enough to where they would be transformed into people ready to lay down their life for the sake of the gospel. At this moment though, they're still scared that they're gonna get arrested and killed. And so the Bible wants us to see that the whole Christian faith doesn't just come flooding in all at one moment, right? Like like it takes time to be around Christ and around the people of Christ, and around the things of Christ, for us to be transformed fully into the image of Christ, it wants to show us that you don't got to have it all figured out, y'all. Even if you proclaim faith, you may not be fully transformed. That's okay. Christ is going to keep showing up and keep changing you, as long as you keep showing up as well, right? But there's a second reason why it tells us that the doors were locked. It doesn't just want us to see their, their lack of boldness here. Throughout the Bible, specifically in the books of Genesis, Exodus, and the Gospel of John, which is where we are this morning, the Bible will show a physical reality to highlight a spiritual truth. And so it'll say something like, it was dark. But it's not just telling you the time of the day. It was saying, hey, in Nicodemus's soul in John chapter three, it was dark. He could not see the reality of Christ. It will show the physical to highlight a spiritual. And so that same truth is applied here as well. You see the hearts of the disciples, specifically the heart of Thomas, it was still locked. He could not see. Remember, Thomas just a week earlier said, I will never believe. That sounds like a locked door to me. Deadbolt, door handle, keychain locked, like he in the hood, right? Like it sounds like Thomas is like, I will never, like I am fully convinced of this. And then all of a sudden Jesus just shows up, it says, literally just randomly shows up in the room, right? Like I don't know if homie teleported in or levitated in or just walked through the walls. I think he teleported because I think we'll be able to teleport in heaven. But that's another sermon for another time, all right? But look, right? Like like Jesus, he not just showed up physically. Remember, it's physical truth to highlight a spiritual reality. So yes, Jesus literally showed up physically, but he also randomly showed up in the room spiritually as well. Because even though Thomas had a completely locked heart, Jesus knew how to walk right through that door and meet him exactly where he was and gives him exactly what he needs. Notice the physical reality. It says the disciples are scared, so the doors are locked. And what does Jesus come in and say? Peace be with you. He meets their physical fear with a physical offering of peace. But think about this in a spiritual sense, right? Like Thomas had these spiritually locked doors and then look at Jesus. Although he was not present when Thomas said this, he responded to Thomas with the exact words that Thomas said was the reason that he would never, no, not ever believe in Jesus. Jesus knew that Thomas's doors were locked and he knew how to walk right through those doors and interact with him anyway. And I fully believe with everything in my heart that some of us in here today didn't even realize that we were walking into this gathering with a heart locked towards Jesus. But I also believe that Jesus knows how to walk right through that locked door and give you what you need as well, family. I think that Jesus wants to meet us in a physical sense, yes, but in a spiritual sense as well. Like there are so many beautiful truths about this text, okay? But I want to highlight one of them, the biggest one that stands out to me in this whole chapter. Like Jesus could have come in hot with Thomas. Couldn't he have? Yeah. Right? Like 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 with a strong rebuke. Like Thomas, didn't I tell you that I would rise again? Which your sorry tale. Right? That's what I would have been like. Like Like Thomas in John chapter 14 said, Jesus, we don't understand what's happening. He said, I'm going to die and resurrect. Like he said that to Thomas's question. And now here's Thomas doubting. Jesus could have come in with a strong rebuke and said, I already told you what I was going to do. But Jesus doesn't come in with a rebuke. He comes in with the exact hangup that Thomas had and says, don't disbelieve, believe. Y'all, come on. The graciousness of God here to rather than rebuke him for his unbelief, despite the fact that he has spent three years with the savior of the world, he does not rebuke, but he blesses. Meaning I believe that in your heart as well, God is not looking to rebuke you, but rather to bring you and say, don't disbelieve, believe the thing that you're struggling with. I want to meet there exactly. I wanna be there exactly with, with what is going on in your heart. I want to interact with that very thing. Jesus does not rebuke him, he invites him, and I think he's doing the same thing with us, family. And Jesus, even if you've disrespected him, with your words and with your actions, even if you've been so bold to say, I will never believe in this God, Jesus wants to show up anyway. Such is the grace of our God. You see, Jesus invites you to touch his scars as well. Jesus invites you to see that he is not against you, he's for you. Jesus also wants your peace, wants your life. I think for some of us, we have this fear that because at some point in our life we've rejected God, there's therefore now no more room at the table for us with God. And this story would implore us of the exact opposite truth, family. That despite our rejection, despite our up and leaving the table of God, God leaves that seat for us and says, no, I want you back in. And as we respond with faith and belief, we are invited back at the table, y'all. We could come back into the family of God. The gospel tells us that Jesus would come with such humility that he would die on the cross for us while we were in sin and while we were enemies of God. And so if Jesus is willing to die for us, won't he also restore us when we reject him again? If he already laid down his life for us, when we doubt again, when we walk in sin again, when we kind of dismiss him again, when we say, I am having a hard time believing, won't he still come with grace, mercy, and peace, beloved? Isn't this the, the evidence that Christ shows all throughout his ministry? He wants you to not disbelieve, but to believe. And he's meeting you with peace and mercy and grace. You may have rejected God in the past, but God has not rejected you, family. Like there's still a seat at the table for you. However, Thomas did do something to taste that grace. He did do something to receive that grace of God. He lingered. And in his lingering, in his hanging around the people of God, it put him in a position to be able to hear and receive from God once God finally did show up. And notice he didn't just hear and go, oh man, that's cool. All right, I see Jesus, that's dope, right? Like no, this, this altered this man's entire life. This changed everything once he finally did see Jesus. That word believe there in the Greek, it says that Thomas believed at that moment. It's not just this intellectual ascension to the truth. That word means to have your entire life submitted to the reality of what you are believing in. And that's exactly what happened to Thomas. Notice his response here upon seeing the resurrected Christ. He said, my Lord and my God. Notice the Lord aspect there, that he is now somebody that we serve. He is a master. We submit our lives to him. You are our Lord. I am not living for myself, but for you now, King Jesus. But you're not just a master to be served. You're also a God who loves me to be worshiped, to be honored. You're a God who bestows his grace upon me. And you're not just a Lord and a God, but you're my Lord and you're my God, not my childhood faith, God, not my mom's faith, Lord, not some cultural expression of faith, God, my Lord and my God, I am giving my life to you. This was the evidence of Thomas really receiving the peace of God. He really got it, y'all. He finally sees the beauty of Christ. And when all of these realities are true for us, where Jesus becomes not just a good figure, but a Lord to be followed, when he becomes not just a good teacher, but a God to be worshiped. And when he becomes not just my faith or your mom's faith or their faith, but my faith as well. When those three things meet, I believe you start to receive the peace of God in ways that transcend all understanding, y'all. You begin to to be resurrected yourself, to see the beauty and reality. You are ready like Thomas to go and to lay down your life for the sake of the gospel when those things clash together. We see that Thomas had this genuine faith, and I believe it was because he risked it. He risked the the disappointment of doubt and lingered around long enough so that when Jesus showed up, he was able to receive it. And y'all, we know this wasn't just an intellectual faith for Thomas. Church history would tell us that Thomas would be one of the first missionaries of the Christian faith. In fact, we know that he went to India and ended up getting killed for his faith, and yet he planted the gospel to where still in this nation of India where he went, there are believers today because Thomas really believed this, y'all, all because Jesus decided to show up and all because Thomas was lingering around the things of God. And I'm convinced that Jesus wants to do the same thing for you, friend. He wants you to have this deep, life-altering, true peace-bringing experience with the God of the universe. And here's why I believe that so much. Because what Thomas is pointing us to is actually way beyond his own personal faith. In fact, Thomas is just a shadowed picture of Christ himself. The very person that he is saying, I worship you, God, Thomas is actually foreshadowing. Here's how. You see, Jesus too lingered around the things of God his entire life, did he not? Jesus was around the disciples. He was always in the house with the disciples. He was always in the presence of God. He was always lingering around the things of God. But even upon that cross, Jesus still lingered. He waited. You see, all the crowds were saying, get down off of that cross. The suffering is not worth it. What you are go- if you are truly God, reveal yourself and leave. And yet Jesus, he lingered and he stayed. And because Jesus stayed, you and I who now believe in that cross of Christ, we can have life everlasting. But here's the even more wild truth. It's not just that Jesus lingered while on that cross, but Jesus also made this profession of faith on the cross. You see, Thomas here says, my God, And on the cross of Christ, Matthew 26 would tell us that Jesus also cried out, my God. But there's a big difference between Thomas and Jesus. You see, Thomas, when he cried out, my God, Jesus gave himself to Thomas. Thomas had faith. Thomas could be assured that he would be resurrected. Thomas was able to receive the peace of God. Why? Because when Jesus cried out, my God, on that cross, he did not receive the peace of God. He received God's wrath. God's separation, a distance from God. Why did Jesus receive that when he cried out? Well, because that's what you and I deserve, family. Because of our sin against God, because we have, like Thomas said, I don't really want nothing to do with you. We deserve separation from God. And yet Jesus cried out, my God, and was separated so that when you and I cry out, my God, we can know that we will never be separated, but have life everlasting, family. This is the gospel message that we proclaim. When you call on God as God, you are able to receive him as Lord because Jesus suffered in your place. And as Jesus suffered, but not just died to pay the penalty of our sin, but resurrected to show us if we believe in him, we too will resurrect one day. And because of that, our entire lives should change. Thomas is a picture of Christ himself. And now when you and I, like Thomas, cry out, my God, my God, we receive him, family. This all started with lingering, though. Thomas stayed. He stayed around the disciples. So I need to ask us, what if this Christian story is, like, real? Right? Like, not, like, intellectually, not like, oh, man, it's a really good, like, message. Oh, man, it's really inspiring. Like, like what if it's real, y'all? Like, shouldn't that begin to change everything about our lives, Like, what if Jesus is really worth dying for in India like Thomas did? What if he's worth surrendering our entire lives to? What if he's worth understanding and lingering and wrestling and trying to behold? Like, what if he is truly the God that can bring peace? I believe with everything in me that he is that. And so what does it look like for you to linger? Like Christian, Christian, What does it look like for you, like last week, to wrestle with God until you finally receive him? For those of us who are unsure of where we are with God or like Thomas, just straight up don't believe, like what would it look like to linger? Like, what if this story is true? What if these disciples really did see the resurrected Christ? And I believe as we linger with God, y'all, we see Jesus show up because though it may take time, he always reveals himself to those who are looking. And so I pray that we will be a people that are looking. And I pray that we wouldn't have to ask the question, hey, what if that we would be fully convinced in our heart, this is a real message, that you cannot find Jesus's bones in anybody on earth because Jesus resurrected and is currently sitting on the throne of heaven and will return family. He will return and resurrect us who believe as well, meaning we have a life everlasting, but also meaning he's worth living for today that he's God that will redeem us forever and Lord to be submitted to today. And when those things become true, we get peace like our souls desire. I pray we would be forever a people that are lingering around the things and the people of God that we might receive from Jesus when he shows up. Amen. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are Lord and you are God and Christ Jesus. I believe that even right now, some of us like Thomas, we came into this room with locked hearts, doors that were shut, maybe without even realizing it. And I believe that you want to interact with us even right now that through worship or through this word, that through fellowship or the saints, that on the drive home, or at some point you want to interact with us. God, I pray that we would be a people that interact with you, Jesus. That we would taste and see that you are good, you are good, you are good. God, I pray that we would know that you are not a God who will meet us with shame, with guilt, with condemnation for our rejection or our our hesitancies with you or our doubt of you, you will show up and say, hey, that thing you doubted, let me show you this as well. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Your God that desires faith from us. Jesus, I pray. for everyone that is in here this morning, that maybe like Thomas has a locked heart in different ways. Friends, I want you to know that like Thomas is, if you believe in this Jesus, if he becomes your Lord and your God, then like Thomas, you too can have everything in your life change. You can be confident that you will not die. You will resurrect like our risen Savior. That you can have peace even now on earth. That you can have the things that you desire. That Jesus wants to reveal Himself to you. Like, like through faith, we get God. <laughs> through faith. The simple profession of Lord and God gives us eternity. That might be the most provocative thing about our faith. Belief gives us life everlasting, such as God's love for you. And so God, I pray for everybody who came into the room, maybe doubting, maybe hurt because you weren't who they expected. I pray that you would reveal yourself again, or maybe for the first time today, that you, Jesus, would become Lord and God in every single heart in this room, Jesus. God, I pray for those of us who have made that profession, who have said you are our Lord and our God. I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would strengthen our conviction, that you would strengthen our peace, that you would create depth of joy in us, Jesus, that is unmatched by anything else, Christ. That you would make us like Thomas, ready to lay it all down for you. Jesus, I thank you for the faith of those in this room. Who they have not seen and yet they believe. I love that this text ends. That's their blessing. I pray they would receive that even today that despite you not showing up in this situation, they still chose to believe, I pray they would see that you are well pleased with that Father. That despite not having hope fulfilled in this situation, that you, they still trust that you are pleased with that. I pray they would receive your pleasure, Christ. That as they endured through hardship, you will reward that one day. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray that every person in this room would receive your peace, your mercy, your love for them, and that they would be fully confident that you are not dead. But you are sitting on the throne right now, watching, listening, you're listening to our hearts right now. You are a resurrected savior. And that because of that we too will resurrect one day to eternal life. I pray that we will believe that with everything in our hearts. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for life everlasting. I pray blessing over these men and women in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Hey everybody! Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected,
1: please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.